Uh, the second half of the book of Ephesians uh, is a response to the first half, right? So Paul lays this incredible foundation in Ephesians chapter 1 to 3. He talks about how good the Christian has it. How good is it? How blessed is the Christian? How, how much has God poured his grace out on the Christian? Um, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, right? So the Christian, you're blessed through the work of Jesus on the cross. You're redeemed, you're restored, you're made right with God. Uh, and Paul, uh, in that context, jumps into, into chapters 4, 5 and 6 and, and gives us a, a number of implications. So that's the context uh, that we're thinking about today. It seems like every day you hear about someone who's uh, stressed out at work, right? Like people, people rarely talk about work as a, as a carefree environment, you know? It's like, when's the last time you asked someone the question, how's work? And they were like, killing it. You know, think about that. When's the last time you asked someone that and they were just like, oh, it's a breeze. You know, it's like I, I stroll in Monday morning. Things are good. No one's demanding my attention. I'm just like, it's good. You know, when's the last time that happened? It's, it just doesn't really happen. We've got a, a really unique uh, relationship uh, with work, I think. I think for some of us, uh, you know, some of us work is our God. You know, we work too much and we, we just spend all of our efforts and our energy on work. Um, some of us see work as a curse and we do everything we can to avoid it, right? Like work is just like, I don't work enough. The, the less I do, the better. Uh, but generally speaking, I think a lot of us actually see it as both. You know, we, we condemn it as a necessary evil to get ahead in life. And, and, we, and not only that, but we become a slave to it. So work is both a necessary evil and it actually also becomes our God. We're a slave to it. We work, we work too much, too unwillingly. Kicking and screaming, right? We work for all the wrong reasons. Now, before I get into some of the wrong reasons we, we work with, let me just broaden uh, the noose a little bit. I'm, I'm talking about all of us. I'm not just talking about the office worker. I'm talking about uh, uh, children working for their parents. I'm talking about um, mums working in the home. Like I'm talking about everyone. Like I, my wife has, uh, was away uh, the last two days. Um, she went on a trip uh, and I, uh, I looked after the kids. So um, if my eyes are bloodshot and, it, you know, and I've, it looks like I've got PTSD, it's probably because I do. Uh, that is really, really hard work. Um, that is an incredible calling that God has for my wife. Um, I'm exhausted. So I rock up this morning and I'm just like, man, thank God. I'm just, I'm just really glad to be uh, sharing with you today, glad to be um, doing what I'm doing. So not that I, yeah, and just I'm exhausted, all right? Just <laughs> extend some grace to me. So uh, let, let me give us, let, let me um, uh, put forward to you a couple of reasons, uh, a couple of poor reasons for work. I, I think... Um, I think there's a bunch of reasons that we work uh, that just they don't cut it. They're not sufficient. They're not broad enough a reason uh, for us to work. Um, and I think they fall within the category we work to get, right? We work to get something. So the first reason I think uh, is we work, we work for money. And I think it's a poor reason if that's the main reason for, uh, uh, for our work. Um, I'll, I'll give you a few ABS statistics. This is... Um, from last year, the full-time adult 
average, average weekly earning was $1,592. It's a lot of money. That's full-time adult average weekly earnings 2016. Uh, average household gross income was $1,423. That's, uh, obviously, they're different because households have a different sort of demographic, right? So there's a lot of different components collected in there. Um, listen to this. The net worth... For all Australian households, the average net worth was $809,000. That is incredible. Now, that obviously combines uh, low income, middle income, or low wealth, middle wealth, and, and high wealth categories. So there's a whole bunch of uh, uh, diversity there. But the middle wealth household, the average net worth of a middle wealth household was $462,000. That's a lot of money, right? So... Uh, 60% of people, 65% of people either own or have a mortgage on their home. 31% um, of people own their home. Incredible. That's incredible to me. So we have, I, I, why do I give you those? I give you those to say we've got a lot of money. And, and a lot of us here, we're just from Toowoomba, we're just from Highfields, we're going, we don't have that much money. Come on, Matt, those are all inflated city statistics. Yeah, they might be, but we've still got a lot of money. I'm not even going to spend the time on broadening that out to a, a more global perspective, right? We've got a lot of money. Money, now don't hear me poo-hooing money. Money's a great thing to have. In fact, if you've got some, I'd love to have it. Uh, it's really a great thing to have. It can be used for incredible things. But, but at the same time, it, it can be used for really ordinary things or sadly, sinful things. You can do a lot with money. Think about the, the base reason for why we work. Right? As, a, as a young adult, our parents tell us, if you want money, you have to work for it. That's a good principle, right? Like if you want money, if you want to buy things, you have to work for it. But what we do is, is we, uh, we figure that to mean the purpose of work is for money. Okay, well, the reason I work is so that I can have money, so I can buy my own things, so I can support myself. Uh, again, a, a great thing, but uh, we, we take it, too far. We, we work long and we work hard so that we can have more money to build our own empires. Now consider this, our wealth increases and so does our personal expenses, right? Just let, let me push this a little bit. The 50k income drives a Toyota. The 80k drives a Volkswagen. The 120k drives the BMW. The 200k gets driven around, Right? Like as, as your personal income increases, you're, you'll find necessary expenses. I never knew I needed this until I got a pay rise. And then all of a sudden, I've got this great need uh, for, for additional expenses. The problem is, is that becomes a cycle, doesn't it? I work for money. I have money. I spend money. So I work for more money. I have more money, I spend more money. And it becomes, we become trapped in a cycle. Money isn't a big enough reason to work for. I'm not saying money is bad. I'm saying we need to think more deeply about work. Another reason I think that um, uh, we can work and, and a, a bad reason to work, one of the ways we corrupt work is, is we work for power. We corrupt our work when we make it a means of power. When our work becomes... You know, the, the field where we exercise control, right? Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about dominion. There's a great 
godly element of dominion to work, right? And responsibility. But I'm, I'm talking about control. We use other people to enforce our will in the world. Promotions become about authority, right? Finally, I get to call the shots. I get to have the final say around here. I'm the one in charge. I have the power. Does work become about power for you? Another reason I think um, we, we work, and, and a corrupt reason, is we work to have prominence sometimes. You know, we, we, we corrupt our work when we make it our source of recognition. We say to our jobs and we say to our workplaces, I need to be recognized here, people. Can't you see what I'm doing? I'm the best thing this company's seen since the iPhone, all right? So a little recognition wouldn't go astray. Think about the rise of, of personal branding. Um, I'm, I'm a little involved in, in marketing and uh, often sort of thinking and looking at what's happening in the space of marketing and personal branding, branding is this, this uh, sort of recent phenomenon where every person individually needs to market themselves to their employers and, and the world around them. They need to project this image, this, this sort of identity about themselves, this impression. I'm Matt and, and I'm really humble. Look at this photo of me with my family. It's like, what are you? I'm marketing myself. Look at this. Look at this. Uh, look at these images. Look at these stories about me and about my image. Um, we make work about our prominence. Are you the person who always, you know, you're always plugging yourself? You're always, um, always letting other people know about your efforts. Always making sure people know. Hey, just so you know, like that, that was me. I achieved that. That was my work. Are you, are you content to share recognition or rewards? Or, or even... even <laughs> Worse, are you content to miss out altogether? There's a scene from um, this fantastic movie, 12 Angry Men. Um, it's like, I think it's top five movies of all time in, on IMDb. So if you haven't seen it, it's incredible. It's, it's, it was made in 1957 and the whole movie is shot in one room with 12 sweaty men. Um, or oh, there's one scene, like right at the start, which is outside of the courtroom for like 15 seconds, but the whole movie's in this room. And um, part of the, uh, it's like it's a trial and, and it's a, a team of jurors trying to decide on a case. And part of the case is an old man gives testament against this uh, boy as having killed his father. He says he heard and saw certain things. And one of the jurors is also an old man. And in this in this scene in the movie, he's identifying with this old man and he's, he's sort of saying I think he's falsified that for recognition he wants some recognition so I think he's actually falsified a testimony against this boy and this is what he says he says I think I know this man better than anyone here this is a quiet frightened insignificant old man who has been nothing all his life never had any recognition his name in a newspaper nobody knows him Nobody quotes him. Nobody seeks his advice after 75 years. Gentlemen, that's a very sad thing to mean nothing. A man like this needs to be recognized, to be listened to, to be quoted. And in that, you, you identify, you go, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
but we take it too far and we ask uh, our work to give us recognition. We ask uh, for prominence. We demand things from work that we ought not demand. Let me uh, look, at, look at work uh, through a different angle uh, with a couple of questions. I think we, um, I think we fall short in our work efforts in, in a bunch of ways, but before I give them to you, let me ask you a couple of questions. When you're not giving someone what is rightfully theirs, are you stealing? Or another way to ask that is when you withhold something from someone that ought to be theirs, are you taking from them? Think about that dynamic. When you are not giving someone what is rightfully theirs, are you stealing? Here's a few ways I think we fall short in our work. One is um, a lack of purpose. I'm just going just gonna to shoot through these and then we're going get to get into Ephesians. Uh, the first thing I think we, we fall short on is having a lack of purpose. You don't know what's going on with your work. You don't really care. You just need to clock up your hours and you're off. You're out of there. You don't have any personal purpose either. You wouldn't have a clue what the company purpose is. So your, your, your work life is generally aimless. There's no aim to it. You, you fall for the, the popular uh, myth to live for the weekend. You're only here to make it through to Friday, right? Or if the stars just happen to align, you get a long weekend. Oh my goodness. Do we love our long weekends in Australia, right? Three days off. Are you kidding me? It's like jackpot. I am the richest person on earth because I only work four days this week. And we're like, you guys are drooling at me while I say that. It's like we just, we love it. <laughs> Do you have a lack of purpose in your work? Do you know what your aim is this week or this year? What is your purpose in your work? We fall short in our laziness. We've got a lack of initiative. We only do what we're required to do. The minimum effort, just enough to get by. We only think about ourselves, our, our role and our responsibility. We don't think about anything broader than that, right? There's a, there's a laziness there. We, we fall short in our apathy. Another way I think we fall short is our lack of focus. And this is very prevalent today. You live in a constantly distracted state, right? What does that look like? One of, those, one of the ways that could look like is you're a slave to technology. Office workers, why do you need to have Facebook open? Why do you need that tab open? Like I have employees, right? I know what's going on. It's like, what, what are you doing? Why do you need to have that? Do you need to be that connected? Or, or why do you need to bring your phone to this meeting? Is it that important? Are you that important that I cannot have 15 minutes of your attention? We're distracted. Women, Instagram mums, I'm talking to you guys as well, right? Like I'm talking to... <laughs> consider how social media is shaping your work with your children. When you're at home, how is social media shaping your engagement with your kids, your focus with your kids, your attention to them? Like I, I felt this lure over the last couple of days. I'm not on social media anymore because it, it was just distracting me all the time. There's this, I, 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 um, even now, I still just in the back of my mind, there's sort of like, hey, I wonder what's going on on, on the news feed today. I wonder what stories are out there. It's like, what has that got to do with me right now? Absolutely nothing. But we live in a distracted state. Another thing I think that looks like is you think you can multitask. 
right? You balance like 18 tasks on the tip of your finger because you're awesome at multitasking and disappointing people at the same time. It's like, wow, great job. It's, it's a lie. You cannot properly and deeply focus when you're trying to do two things at once. It's, it's just not happening. We cannot uh, multitask. It's, it's, it's a myth, right? So technology came along and all of a sudden we're like, wow, this is a powerful tool. It must mean I can do everything at once. It's like, no, 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 that's not true. Humans are still the same. They still can only single task. It's like, are you sure? Because I'm talking to you and I'm typing an email at the same time. It's like, you're doing a terrible job of both. You can't multitask. The last, the, the last thing I think um, that, that distracts us or, or that, that um, uh, causes us to fall short in our work is we don't know how to say no. One of the reasons you can't focus on one thing is because you have 18 things to do today. And it's overwhelming. It's like, look at this task list. Look at what I've got to do today. Now, I'm not saying let's not work really hard. I'm saying sometimes we don't value our work enough because we don't say no. And we're willing to suffer under the crushing weight of too much responsibility. We're doing too many things at once. Sin, you know, the reality for us is sin has corrupted our work. So now we work to get. Work becomes about what I can get. I can get money, I can get power, I can get recognition rather than working to give. And our work becomes about serving our purposes, not God's. This is the same vein as last week, right? Like I talked about this with anger. We talked about um, how Paul said, be angry, but do not sin. So we last week we talked about sinful anger, and then we talked about righteous anger. This week we're talking about sinful work and righteous work. You can open your Bibles, if you haven't yet, to Ephesians 4. Following on from last week in verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I'm going to break that into a, a few pieces. Let the thief no longer steal. Now, he's not just talking about, uh, uh, you know, before you were saved or outside of Christ when you, when you sin. And all your motives are wrong. He's talking, he's talking to Christians here. This is an ongoing thing. You know, I think what happens is we idolize work and we give work glory that we ought to be giving to God, right? Paul Tripp calls this the glory war. When, when we make work our God, when we idolize work, when we give out our time and attention to work, right? When we're anxious about work, we're giving uh, attention to work, we're giving glory to work that we ought to be giving to God. And Paul, uh, Paul challenges that. Here's the question, why does the thief steal? Why do we harbor for ourselves? Why do we get so desperate to build our kingdoms, to make a name for ourselves, to ensure we will be looked after? Why can't we just hear Paul and say, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. All right, great. That's it. That's all I'll do now. I'm just going to work 
in order to give. I'm going to work in order to serve. I think one of the reasons that we, we labor to harbor for ourselves, you know, we work to get is because we don't truly trust God to provide for us. We, we don't truly understand His character. We don't really understand the way God is with us. Paul in, in 2 Corinthians related to this passage, he talks about the Christian perspective for giving, for generosity. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In the, the next thing he says, each one of us should give cheerfully. He says, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work you know what drives your good work the abounding of god's grace to you right he says give cheerfully because god will make all grace abound to you Listen to his language, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Can he be more vivid, right? Can he be more comprehensive in the way that he communicates there? Sounds like he's got it covered, right? Like Sounds like God probably has this one covered. He's probably, probably got enough to, to provide for us. Listen to the quote he adds in in verse 9 there. He says, As it is written, he is distributed freely. He has given to the poor his righteousness endures forever. That is, that's Psalm 112. That psalm is titled, The Righteous Will Never Be Moved. And it says this from verse 5, It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice, for the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. And then verse 9, that Paul quotes, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. Uh, the, the psalmist there is giving this, this picture, giving us this picture of the person who trusts in God. And in this case, we're talking about in their work. They deal generously and they lend. He distributes freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever, right? This person knows deeply what they have in God. They know who God is. They know the character of God. They know what He's like and the implications it has for them. If you knew deeply what you had, you wouldn't steal. You wouldn't be so quick to seek praise from other people. You wouldn't be so easily enslaved if you truly knew. So it's out of a place of knowing God's generosity towards us in Christ, you know, God's redemption, His, His blessing of us, His covering us, His providing for us, His protection for us. It's out of that understanding that we're compelled to work to give.
to give generously, to give our time, to give our recognition, to give our authority, to give it for the purpose of other people. That's, that's the, the kind of equation we're talking about today. Understanding God's character towards us frees us from our slavery to work to spend ourselves for the sake of God. So if you're stuck in that cycle, if you're stuck in that, that I really need this recognition, I really need this money, I really need this power, then you need a picture of God's character. You need a, a larger picture, a broader picture of who God is. You know what that results in? You look at your money, you say, this isn't my final reward. This isn't the be-all and end-all. This isn't what is ultimately important. Yeah, yeah, it's good to have money. That's great. We've established that. But it's not that important. We can, be, we can be content with little because we know who God is. Second part of the verse says, but rather let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. So what we've established is work to glorify God. Image God as you were created to. Image God in your work, in his creativity, his wisdom, his discernment, his, his strategy, his strength. Image God in your work. In a perfect world, we worked. God's design for us is to work. Yes, sin has corrupted that. Yes, it makes it harder. But let us labor. The, the word labor, toil, become tired, right? Like the sweat on your forehead. Labor, work that you might stand before God and hear him say to you, after you have taken the risks, after you are spent, after you've labored, after you're exhausted, you've given everything, to stand before him and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You know that there is risk involved in good work? You know that story of, of the talents where the, the master comes to his three servants and he gives them each um, uh, their talents and then he goes away and two of them invest it, right? Two of them actually invest. They take a risk with what they've been given and the last one buries it for fear. The master comes back and he rewards the ones who have taken the risk. And the last one, <laughs> he scolds, right? You wicked and slothful servant. Some of us have forgotten the risk of working to glorify God. There is a risk. Working honestly, working hard will be a risk for us. For some of us, you know, work isn't really that hard. You're just engaging at the surface. What would it look like for you to labor, to be deeply connected and invested in your work, to be passionate about the people there and the opportunities? What could it look like for you to think really deeply about your job, to think really thoughtfully about it, to invest yourself wholeheartedly into your work? What could it look like for you to take your work relationships seriously? You know, how often are they sabotaged because we just write them off as workmates? It's like, they're just my workmates. 
They're just a part of the necessary evil. It's like if work is a necessary evil, then so are your workmates, it seems. That is not the case. What could God do in those relationships? How could God be glorified in your workplace? What do you think he wants to do there? What is he up to? The third part of the verse says, doing honest work with his own hands. Honest, doing honest work is good work, is generous, generous work. That's the word there. So again, the concept, the thief works for himself. We work for ourselves. We work to get, but the good worker works for others. Work becomes a tool that that the Christian leverages to serve God and to serve other people. Great. Here's another opportunity that I can serve God, that I can glorify God, that He can be magnified in my life. It becomes a tool. How does your work, think about it, how does your work benefit those around you? Your kids. Right? Like, is it, is it just a reaction or is there, a, a, like, is there proactivity in your work with your kids? Does it benefit them? Are you just managing or, or are, you, are you growing? Are you, are you shepherding them? Co-workers, how does it benefit your co-workers? Your leadership. Are you that thorn in your boss's side? Right? It's like, oh man, it's so good to have you here today. <laughs> you know, how does it benefit those around you? Does it benefit your community, your local community? Does your work benefit your community? Does it benefit society as a whole? The way that you work, the diligence with which you work, the, re- the research you conduct, the study you do, the work that you produce benefits society. Does it benefit those around you? Work, yes, work provides for our needs. But, but more than that, it gives us this opportunity to... to to, um, to contribute to society, to, to give and serve others. The last part of, of Ephesians says, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The whole point of work, don't steal anymore, but labor. Work honestly, work hard in a good job so that, right, This is the reason, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That is the purpose of work, so that you can share with anyone in need. Listen to Paul uh, commending his ministry to the Ephesians. In in Acts uh, 20, he's sort of farewelling the church and he's giving a, a bit of a closing sort of statement. And he says in Acts 20, 34, You yourselves... Know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all these things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Is that true for you? When you look at your work, is it more blessed for you to give than to receive? Paul's saying the point of this hard work has been to give to others. Right? And, and if you know the life of Paul, you know he was a church planner. He traveled uh, uh, and supported uh, churches like across uh, great distances, across enormous regions. He worked intensely hard with his church planning, but he was also a tent maker and he worked. 
his trade. He worked, he even says he worked to provide for himself and his team, that he wasn't a burden to the church. He's like, I've been working uh, in terms of planning this church, getting you guys established, preaching the gospel, uh, faithfully delivering you the message of Christ. But more than that, I've been working my trade to provide for me and my team. In every way, I'm working to serve the people around me. He labored in his, his preaching and, and his church planning and he labored in his tent making to help the weak. And, and what you hear behind that is, is you hear like the gospel reality. I took hold of Christ. Or, or rather, Christ took hold of me. And his sacrifice for me I couldn't do anything else. I, I had nowhere else to go other than it meaning me sacrificing my life for others. I just I couldn't look at the cross. I couldn't look at Jesus' sacrifice for me and I couldn't take it anywhere else other than me sacrificing for others. There's just nowhere else to go with that. And you hear that in what Paul says. My work became a tool to declare his glory and serve those around me in need. Now that is challenging. How should we respond? Let me, um, let me land this with, with, a, with the question of response. How should you respond to the truth of this? Think about the glory of God in your work efforts. Is God being magnified? Do people look at your effort? Do they look at the work that you produce, the work that you labor in? And is God being glorified? People look at that and go, he works really hard. Or do they look and they go, they get by. Like, they're okay, right? Now, we're not, I'm, I'm not saying let's all judge each other, but just ask the question, does your work glorify God Is God being magnified or not? And then secondly, does your work serve other people? What you do with your money, right? Work to give. Don't work to get. Think about Christ. Work to give. So that you might serve other people. That's the purpose of work. Let me, um, let me extend some hope in this. Because you might be going, well, Matt, that's exhausting. All right, <laughs> It's hard enough just, just getting by, all right? So that's exhausting. That is too much. You have been justified. That's what Paul's saying in, 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 this, in the broader context. You have been justified, so live as one who is justified. Jesus has worked for you, so work for Jesus. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, referencing this verse, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed you were sanctified 
you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He's saying, live in light of your new identity. Your work should look distinctly different. Right? You have been justified, so work as if you're justified. You're not working to justify yourself. You're not working to prove something. You're not working for recognition. You're not working for money because of how much you've been given already. You're not working for power because you know who has true power. You're working in light of being justified. You're working in light of Jesus' work for you. So, so working to glorify God... You know, it may require a radical change in your work habits. Think about the implications here. Consider that the purpose in your work recently, is your purpose too small? How is the Holy Spirit leading you to repent? Ultimately, the gospel reality is we are free to work honestly and faithfully and diligently and exhaustingly because of how Jesus worked for us. Right? We are justified by Jesus' work for us. We are made right before a holy God so we can stand before Him and have Him recognize us and have Him approve of us because of Jesus' work. That is our hope. That is the gospel reality that underpins good work, faithful work. So trust in God. Trust in the character of God. Trust that God is who He says He is. Trust that He will provide for you in your selfless work, in your giving, in your service, in you laying down your life. Trust that God will exalt you. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Uh, Paul, um, I want to close by reading a, a section of Scripture from 2 Thessalonians. Paul closes his letter to the Thessalonians with uh, uh, a challenge, an admonishment and a, and a benediction. Hear this today. Paul, uh, sorry, 2 Th- Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. Like we could stop there. We're not. But ouch, like sting. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It is not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. The gospel fueled our work. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, 
Do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take, care, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he might be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Let's pray. Lord, we, um, we ask for your peace. We hear uh, Paul's call to, to work uh, uh, faithfully and, and diligently for the glory of God, to work for uh, uh, others, to work to meet other people's needs. And, and I guess maybe we, we just feel exhausted. We just go, man, I, I'm hardly surviving. I don't even see how I could do that. Or maybe we, we feel lost in that. You know, maybe we're, we're, we're just, we feel lost in the crowd. Who's going who's gonna to strengthen me? Who's going to uh, meet my needs? And Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Thank you for the way you've, you've spoken to us today in leading us to trust in our Heavenly Father that we can work in light of the work of Jesus, that we know that you provide for us, that we, uh, that we, can, we, can, um, we can continue, we can persevere in good work in light of the work of Jesus to make us right, to make us right with God, to reconcile us to God. To, to remind us that our work is, um, is not for power, is not for money, is not for prominence, but that it's to glorify God and to serve others. Would you, would you test us today, God? Would you test our hearts that we might grow? Amen.